Welcome to the Comics Misremembered Podcast with your hosts Jim and John, and here's the opening music. She said, I want to live like common people, I want to do whatever common people do, want to sleep with common people, I want to sleep with common people like you. I'll see what I can do. Hey, how you doing, folks? Uh, this is Jim at the Comics Misremembered Podcast with one of my co-hosts. And I'm John. Yeah, he's my only co-host, John. Well, we have an informal co-host. We have Daisy. Which da- is... Daisy, who's the Comics Misremembered dog who just uh, sits and snores next to our feet. Absolutely. As we're recording this. As always, we, we talk about comics and comic-related items. Uh, this week, we're doing a comic. And the song that I played is 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 going to factor into what we're, we're talking about i didn't do any kind of um uh, social media thing i did i forgot to post what we would be talking about uh, so this is going to be a surprise to everybody listening uh, this is um in some ways this is actually going to be a very pleasant surprise yes i hope i hope so we're, we're going to be talking about a comic but as everybody knows because you listen to the show on a weekly basis I play a little piece of music. Uh, John has not heard the music prior to me playing it. And what he likes to do is hear the music for the first time and then try to guess the name of the artist and the song title. Um, he likes to, he, he's practicing for that Shazam show. You know, you know that? Yeah. And in this case, I would have been like one of those things. I would have, I would have been staring blankly and been like, I should know this. I should have known this. It, it was a, this is one of those times where I, um, I think John knows it because I know it. I knew the I knew the song, and I'm like, okay, this is what I want to use. Uh, so, any guess as the title and the song, uh, the artist? Well, like I said, I I am kind of blanking, but I'm gonna guess common people. And is that Bowie? Yeah, you're saying Bowie. Okay, so common people is the correct uh, answer for the song title because yeah. they they do say common people like 20 times so yeah. I hope, i'm hoping that you would pick that up yeah i just i was hoping that it, i was hoping that wasn't going to be just a red herring because you're famous for that yep no but, but they they actually named the song common people and the uh artist is you said bowie no it's not it's not bowie no, it's I'm... an english artist though okay the um... artist you're not gonna get it. i'm i'm okay do, do you want to take another shot no if if you didn't know what common people was then you're not gonna get yeah. the artist the uh, artist is called Pulp. Oh, Pulp. God. Pulp. Pulp. And uh, John has a big sigh to that because um, the, the comic we're covering today is Pulp. That's right. It's uh, Pulp is an original graphic novel. Uh, it is written by Ed Brubaker with art from Sean Phillips. And the colorer of this comic is uh, Jacob Phillips, who is uh, Sean's son. And it's, of course, published by Image Comics. And uh, if you're not familiar with Pulp, it recently came out. It's it's an original graphic novel, so it comes in a hardcover, um, and it's set in the criminal universe. I'm going to get into that a little bit, but John, if people are not familiar with this comic, which they should be. Yes, indeed. Why don't we get them familiar by talking to them about, like, what is this story about? Can you give me a synopsis of that? I would be happy to. A gorgeous original graphic novel from the best-selling creators of Kill or Be Killed, My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies and Criminal, Max Winters, a pulp writer in the 1930s New York, finds himself drawn to a story unlike the tales he turns out at five cents a word. Tales of a Wild West outlaw dispensing justice with a six-gun. But will Max be able to do the same when pursued by bank robbers, Nazi spies, and enemies of from his past? One part thriller, one part meditation of a life of violence, 
Pulp is unlike anything award-winning Brubaker and Phillips have done before. The celebration of pulp fiction set in a world on the brink of another must-have... Oh, pardon me. Another must-have hardcover. Yes, it was set on the world on a brink of another mar- of another must-have hardcover. No, on the world on a brink is another must-have hardcover from one of the comic's most acclaimed teams. Like Scorsese and De Niro, Brubaker and Phillips are unmatched masters of a certain kind of storytelling. A new title from these sharpshooters behind Fatal and Criminal is reason enough to go on living, says Joe Hill, famous for Lock and Key. Lock and Key, exactly. And so that you know, that is a, a very good description of like what you can expect by reading the comic series. Um, I believe that um, Ed Brubaker meant to set this uh, these characters uh, in his criminal universe yes now um i don't i've read some criminal i'm currently reading the ongoing criminal series um i've read some of the mini series that have come out before that but i haven't read everything right um, from because there is a lot of this there is a lot of um mini series prior to the regular series going on and um i don't know if if this character max winners has been introduced before but this is my first exposure to this character so i don't know if this is a character solely created uh, for the comic Pulp, but I have a feeling he does set it in kind of the criminals universe. And mostly the criminals universe is set in the modern day, maybe like the late seventies. I don't think it, I can't remember a time that I've read it where it went back until the, this is the third. Yeah, this is, this is definitely as if it was in this, if it's set in a, con, you know, a sort of the continuity, this would be the oldest of the of the tales. Yes, I would think so. And uh, just like the other titles that uh, John had mentioned, um, such as My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies, and also the other uh, comic Bad Weekend, this is yes. a, um, a set-alone, hard, uh, hardcover graphic novel. Um, so unlike the other series, which are all soft-covered or individual issues, uh, this was just published as a hardcover uh, graphic novel. Now, I was interested in reading this as soon as I heard that this comic was coming out, I knew I wanted to purchase it. The And the problem that I had, like a lot of people probably experience, especially if they're fans of Sean Phillips and or uh, Ed Brubaker, yeah. um, is that when it came out, it sold out. Like as soon as it came out, I don't think a lot of comic book stores had copies or enough copies and they sold out. I tried to get it through Amazon. They sold out. Amazon sold right. out. This is unbelievable. So I put it on back order because I was I wanted to get it, and Amazon was kind of like my only option at this time. Yeah. So I put it on back order. So I had to wait uh, like a month before I actually got it into my hands. This came out, uh, I want to say about a month ago. Uh, the original uh, issue of it came out. So about a month ago, I just got it about two weeks ago. And as soon as I got it, I read it. Fantastic. I, you know, Brew Baker, Sean Phillips, you do it again. And as you know, we we both uh, feel very highly about about this particular team, this this duo. If you um, if you have a chance, even before you want, um, if you want to kind of sense of perspective for you know for what we're doing, um, you can go back and listen to the podcast that we did on all our heroes and all my heroes have been junkies. Yeah, all my heroes have been junkies. We when that came out, we decided to do podcasts on it. Yeah. And I think that was kind of your first exposure yes. to the criminal universe. Yes, it was, because I had somehow managed to um, not get into Fatal. Um, right. Which or was, are the, or the, any, yeah. the other ones. So, um, but immediately sucked me in, so. Yeah, and I, I, you did 
by Bad Weekend, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I have I just have the individual issues, but I, I know Bad Weekend is the individual issues plus some more. So um I haven't picked up Bad Weekend myself, but I'll probably Keep trying to get it. I mean, I read yeah. it because it was part of a storyline in the Criminal Comic series. Um, but I understand Bad Weekend has a couple of extra pages that kind of finishes out the storyline. Um, but enough about previous work, and you know, we can go on and on, give accolades to everybody involved. And um, if and if we were voting members, we would be we would be voting for Eisner Awards. Well, <laughs> I, I have a feeling next year's Eisner's this is going to be a, like best short story best one shot best writer best art it's going to get in all those categories and you would be hard pressed to find like another story that's going to top it like it's yeah, going to have to be a real heart wrench gut wrench story in order to top it this is this is a unique i i don't use that and i don't use that term lightly i don't think i've ever seen something with quite, that uses the conceit that this story does quite as well well, well, we'll see as, as we talk about that. So, as John is alluding to, uh, we're going to be talking about the story. So, if you have not read the story, of course, spoiler territory. We're going yes. to be going in and around and talking about, you know, all the different things that happened in the story. So, if you have not read it yet, I, as we always would recommend you do, go purchase the comic. Stop listening now. Go purchase the comic because we're telling you to go purchase the Absolutely. comic. You know, at the end of the day, at the end of this podcast, we're going to be saying... We love this. Go buy it. So go buy the comic. Go read it. It's a quick read. It's you know I think it's less than thirty pages. Come, and yet it's and yet those. But 30, it's a full story. Yet, I was going to say, and yet it's more fleshed out than things that are like three or four times <laughs> that, 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 that have like you know two years story arc. Exactly. And uh, read it. Come back and pick up here and listen to you know and then engage right. in into the conversation that we're having. You know, you can listen to what we say, and then you can give us feedback either through the website directly, which is comicsmisremember.com, or uh, through our many different websites. We have a Twitter account. We have Facebook. You know, go ahead and, and leave us uh, some, uh, some comments. And as always, if you're listening to this podcast, um, either directly through the website or the many options of like iTunes and Google and everything, uh, please, you know, subscribe and like and give us some comments. You're exactly. always looking for feedback. So having said all that, getting that out of the way, let's start talking about the story itself. Let's talk about Pulp. Okay. So as we'll start with the, the main character. Yes. As John mentions, um, the main character is Max Winters. Yes. And Max Winters is, if I was going to put an age on Max, I would say probably late 60s, early 70s. Yes. He's, okay. he's, a, he's, an elder, he's an elder gent in an era where that wasn't such a common thing. Well, yes, because this is again the 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 middle nineteen thirties. Yeah, we'll it's say. said it's said towards the end of the thirties. Safe and, to say. And how it starts off is he's um, we we are told that he is a writer. He writes for a comic, a pulp magazine, as it's called, and um, he writes a western uh, comic tale, which was prevalent about that time. This is before World War II when war comics became very popular. So westerns were still a, a great big deal. And and we were thinking about the time we were doing a talk. We were talking about the timeline for this for the story and when things were and in particular Max's age and some of the things that would happen. And one of the things that we immediately kind of gra- kind of last latched onto was the idea that this was one of the most amazing times in history where you were going for where you had that you were literally going from you know railroads and ho- you know horseback and the actually and the cowboy the sort of mythological cowboy. Uh, genre that we were talking about, you know, with cowboys and Indians and the frontier and everything else, 
to 1930s America, where you feel like it's an entirely different age. But that turn of that that centennial kind of was put, usher, ushered in a whole new chapter in of, of America, and and the people who lived through that time and the displacement thereof is a huge part of what's going on, especially with Max. Right. And so we're going to get into that, too, as we discuss what it is that Max is actually writing right. about. Um, so as the story begins, um, Max is turning in his script like he normally does to his publisher, which is an, an editor who is his name's Mort. And, um, he, you know, they're quabbling about like, you know, here's the pages. Um, I get the money. He's, and then Mort tells him like, oh, the comics aren't selling as great as they used to be. So I can only pay you, pay you for $2 cheaper than the rate that I normally would yeah, give it was, you. Yeah, so it went from five cents a word to two cents a word, to three cents a word. Or something like yeah, that. So he says, I, I have to pay you cheaper. And then um, he says, okay, but what's he going to do? He says, I can't, right. like, you know, I'm not going to turn the script in. He has to get the money. So he takes the money and he takes what he gives him. And it's 120 bucks, right. which back in the day is, that's a pretty substantial, that's well, a pretty it's, substantial It's a good amount, amount of money. The um, the other thing that he's talking about is, is more just looking through the script before he gives him his money, is he talks about, like, you know, yeah, this is an interesting story, but, like, what's with, um, you know, the old, the, the the two characters here. There's the Red River Rider, yep. who's named Red, and then there's the um, the sidekick, Heck. Yeah. His name is Heck. And um, as, as you read through the story, the story jumps between them as uh, kids and teenagers, and then it gets to them as they're kind of older and almost to, like, what are they thinking about doing for retirement at the end of their life? And so more reads this, and he goes, he's like, what? Is, he's like, yeah, about this script. What is this with uh, the Red Rider, like, being like an old man and, and at the end of the comic? It's like he's retiring. What's that all about? And he's like, you know, I was thinking about um, Burroughs, you know, with the Conan and the tapestry of life where, you know, sometimes when he's writing them, he's the, you know, the conqueror, bar Conan, the barbarian, the conqueror, an old man, a king. And then sometimes he's writing, he's, he's starting off as a barbarian, a young Turk, buck, you know, fighting. And it's just like kind of flips back and forth because you have different stories that you can tell depending on what age he is. He's like, look. That's what, not what people want. That's not what people want. People no. want the gun shooting, the shoot fights, and then bad guy, the good guy shoots the bad guy, and then that's it. It's like, don't give me the, right. <laughs> this this kind of In like, other words, you know, literary stuff. Screw your nuance. Yeah. Screw your, you know, screw your introspection. Screw your, you know, just just keep it like keep it to the, you know, the the pulpiest pulp that we can pulp. Yeah, exactly. So I can I can sell the six uh six gun justice yeah. or some whatever it's called. And it it it's a it's 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 amusing, and also the it's the interesting thing is that it talks about it talks about uh his you know his him get you know red as the you know sort of the prototypical sort of swashbuckler and then coming to grips with his mortality because he, you know, he gets into, you know, he's constantly getting into these scrapes and, you know, he's like, uh, and in fact, there's a, there's a uh, scene where he gets shot and because he gets in the middle of a range war between two cattle barons, right. who are, you know, and he's, well, you're, you're talking, you're actually talking about the real life version now. No red. Yeah. Yeah. 
but you, the story you're telling is the a real story, not the no, the no. Red in the ri- in the in, in, in it's in the red, red red river too, because he goes and he has, he gets okay. on the horseback. No, he gets on horseback and goes to the doc's house, and then he's you know, and he recover you know, and he recovers, but he's never quite the same, and that's why he's that's why that's why he's having this whole thing about you know maybe I'm gonna go down to Mexico and see what happens, and you know. I mean, because I realized that, you know, it's like, you know, there's only a certain, a finite number of fight, you know, fights that I can get into before, before death is going to be calling on me. Okay. So the, we're going to be talking about more of the, the, the story and how does Red relate to Max? Now, the other thing that Max talks about at the very beginning of the story is, is he talks about the many times that he almost died. Yep. And that's like another common theme that runs through the story. And he's... um it shows him like a like a, a picture of him on the very first page of being injured. We're going to talk about the first this injury, what it, it's relating to in just a second. But I, I wanted to just bring that up. The other thing I want to bring up too is that we're talking about the comic because as Mort is looking at the comic book pages, he's actually you're reading them, and then the 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 reader is starting to read the pages that Mort is looking yes. at. So it goes back and forth between the comic book pages and then going to live, talking with Mort and Max. And the reason I bring this up is uh, the colorer uh, is Jacob uh, Phillips, who, again, I mentioned it, he's Sean's son. And this is, I, I want to say, his first professional um, coloring job. And I, I could be wrong about that. But, you know, and what I really like what he did here is when we're talking, when we're doing Max's life, yeah, the colors look fantastic. Like they, the cityscapes, Sean Phillips always is going to make this fantastic looking cityscapes, like these splash pages. The and In a couple of pages, there's going to be a scene where Max is just walking down the street and he's washing the humanity that's going down the street. And you see a subway and buildings and it's just like a, the urban jungle. Yeah. And the, the way that it's colored, it's almost looks like a painting. But when you're looking at the comic book pages, they're very bare and they look like pulp pages. They look like something that was a printed like 1930s comic book. Yeah. Um, the, with the, and I don't and I can't think of like the the way that the coloring was going, but it's like they didn't have that. Um, you know, they didn't have all the colors in the world back in the 30s. Right. So it's a limited palette, and and it's and it's, and they incorporate some of the pointillism that was involved because you know it's like because it wasn't you know it, it wasn't a clean image. It was you know it was da- dots, lots of dots of color you know together. So. Right. It's got so it maintains both it maintains the the feel and look of the original of the original pulp, which is awesome. Right. So the he does a fantastic job about you know doing the coloring, and I just wanted to call that out because, and I think that's like another thing. The thing about working in colors is it's just like somebody who composes music for a movie. Mm. If you're reading something, and you turn a page, and and you might have heard that that, that Daisy's uh getting a little. A little mouthy for some reason, uh, but if just like um if you're reading a comic, just like you're listening to a movie, is if the music of the movie starts taking you out of the movie, like you really notice the music, then the the person who wrote the music didn't do a great job. Right. Same thing with colors. If you're reading a comic and you're like, I love everything I'm looking at. I'm flipping the pages. I love it. But if you start flipping pages and you're like, what was that color choice? You know why? Yeah. Why does this look like this? It's it's again it's because the color is not kind of complementing the artwork that's on the page, which is, I mean, this is great because again, I read this book flipped through as fast as I could because it was, you know, it's one of those page turners. It's like, I want to see what happens next. And the art works, the coloring works, the story works, and it clicks on all cylinders and you're going to burn through this book. So I just want to call that out to everybody because everybody did a fantastic job. So going back to the uh, 
point I was making about Max being mm-hmm. in that urban jungle scene. So he's leaving the, the offices, he's walking down the street, and he's contemplating about like, you know, I'm making less money and I'm what you know, I'm an older man, and what am I gonna do with my life? And just similar to what the comic was saying, he also points out that the um the reason why he can write these kind of stories so much is because Basically, the Red River Kid was his youth mm-hmm. that he did. He is the Red River Kid. And some of the adventure, quote-unquote, adventures that he gets on, like, you know, like cattle wrestling and um, Bang. robbing people yep. and, and train robberies is are things that he did in his youth that he hasn't done for many, many years. But, you know, he's just recounting those tales. And, uh, and, that, and this is what we get, what he was talking about, the rich tra- tra- uh, tapestry of life is because now Max is an old man and he's kind of reflecting on what he did in his youth and he's thinking about retirement. He is married. We find this out. Yep. He's married to a woman and they live in an apartment building and he's like, I want to give a better life to her. She's had she's had um, kind of a tough life too um, and she doesn't know anything about his past because they met when he was much older because he, he's living in New York now and of course when he was a kid he was like in kind of like the Kansas City and the, the uh, those kind of state states. So um so he's like that's all behind me now. I've got this good woman and it almost makes you feel like uh the movie Unforgiven. Yeah, he's you know he's doing his Muncie. Muncie, yeah, yeah, Ed, no, no, Ed money, sorry. Money. And uh it, it's cuz he's like a man that has put everything behind him and then he comes on hard times and because of the hard times now I need to make money fast and what's the way to do that? Well, let's rob something. Like, you know, that. so that that's gonna come we're gonna talk more about that but before that happens we have the first time one of the, one of the first times in the story that he almost dies because there's a the, because as he's walking as he's walking home he sees these these thugs yes you know um yes making fun of uh this and and harassing and bullying a uh young hasidic Jew, Jew, yeah. Um, he's making fun of his curls, and yep. you know, making you know, which is the traditional, the traditional hairstyle. Yep. Um, where they don't cut their hair, and just you know, and just being a total, just being a total dick. Right. And uh, he that old, you know, and he, you know, so he has that, you know, he has that sort of moment where he's like, well, look, you know, I'm not the man that I was all those years ago, but I couldn't let it go, and so he's well. Well, the, the other thing he points out too is why isn't anybody doing anything? Because he's an old man. Yeah. He's in his sixties, or maybe in the seventies. Yeah. And there's other people, because he's on the tr- subway, he's waiting for the train, and he sees this happening out in the corner, two big tough guys taking one one guy, and this guy's not doing it, and the guy who they're picking on is not doing anything to stop it. And he says, he's looking around, nobody's going to do anything? He's like, I'm going to be the man who has to step up and yeah. do something? And in, So he, in his mind, he's like, he has a sense of justice, like what is right, right. you know, what he believes is right. And of course... Physical violence is something that he believes is right, and it's going to happen. Right, it's, a, it's physical violence for a reason, though. Yeah, it's exactly. Not just pointless. Yeah, it, well, <laughs> we're going to talk. To we're we're going to talk about things, and so he decides he's going to take these two guys on. And guess what happens? Well, it doesn't have the best of outcomes. You know that. You know that. Uh, that's that. That Toby Keith song. You know, I was good at once. I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm good at once as I ever was. Right. Unfortunately for unfortunately for our hero, his heart isn't. In well, that isn't no, in that so, moment, right? But and so what happens is, so not only does Max get beaten up, l- laid out and beaten up, and then kicked when he was down, the guys roll him for his money. Yep. So he loses all the money that he made, just made. He's not going to get any money back back from his you know publisher. Right. 
and um, and he has a heart attack on top of all that because of the stress. And, and, of, and of course, nobody helps him. And nobody helps him. Nobody and just, no, they just, just like watch just, it happen. That's right. He's just like, he thinks he's, he's dying. He's just like, and he sees the light going out and the screen, everything goes black and starts whirling out of control. And it's interesting because this is one of the, it's, it's one of those things where you're like, well, what would happen if that happened today? And we already know what would have happened because, because a couple of days ago, somebody tried to raw, tried to rape a woman on, you know, on the train platform in New York city and everybody just videoed it. <laughs> they did. Nobody stepped in and tried to interfere. And the guy ended up, they ended up getting like, she ended up getting away and you know, he, he got caught, but you know, it's just one of those things where you're like, well, how much has changed since 1930 something? Um, yeah. Or how much hadn't changed. That's interesting. But anyway, okay. So he was. So he, yes, as you said, he he wakes up in the doctor's office, you know, and he's, you know, and he has to he has to walk home, you know, because he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't have any money at this point. He's right. like, you know, and he gets home. Well, he gets home, and, and this is when he meets his his wife and Rosa. Yeah, Rosa, and he starts talking about how he met Rosa, and you know, as we mentioned, she was a, a maid. I think she was working uh, for the, the apartment building. They met. They became friendly. They get married. And he, as he says, it's like, I don't want to tell her my problems. Like, I don't want to tell her I have no money. Because they're living comfortably right now. The money that they were going to get is going to definitely help them. But right. now that you have no money, so like, they will make do, you know. So eventually he has to come clean to her to say, like, you know, I don't, I, I got rolled. I tried to fight somebody. Yeah. She's like, that's okay. You just got to, you know, you just had a heart attack. We're going to take it easy. We're going to, you know, everything's going to work itself out. She has a good disposition. Yes. So that, you know, he, th- he feels his way. <laughs> so the next thing you know, um, Max is going back to Mort to like sell um, more stories to him. And then he finds out that Mort has fired him and he has hired his nephew named uh, Sydney yes. to now start writing for uh, the Red Rider. Because Sydney's doing it for a penny a word. He's, or two pennies or something like yeah. that. Something ultra cheap. And Max is like, but but the Red River Red River Rider is my property. It's my right. creation. And he goes, Oh, Max, didn't you look at your payment vouchers? Those are always the property of the publisher. They were never your property. And with you having the heart attack, well, we can't just like you know leave that property laying around and something bad happening. Something bad happened to you. We have to have somebody who's younger and better. Step in and take o- take it over. Now, Max, not only is he out of money, but now he's not going to make it. No, he has no money. He has no options. Yep. He just lost it. And so this part of the comic, because there's, there's many different things that are going on in this, but I, this part of the comic starts making me uh, remember stories that I've either read or heard about, about creators creating yes. properties and then ultimately getting no. So the publisher would go on to make multi millions of dollars with these properties and then the people that created them, either the writer and or the artist, get like nothing and they have to fight years and years before they get it. So when Brewbreak is writing the story, who knows what because there's there's a hundred stories like this that yeah. exist. But the ones that kind of popped up in my mind are um of course Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Um Jerry Siegel was the writer, Joe Schuster was the artist for Batman. No for Superman. Superman. <laughs> <laughs> Batman. Um, but for Superman. And right. what had happened is they create this character. 
They tried to sell it to different publishers. Eventually, Detective Comics, which would become, you know, later become DC Comics, uh, give, pays them this for the story, but they get the rights to the story. And of course, like Superman, if you went anywhere in the world with a picture of Superman and right. you showed it to anybody, an old man, uh, a young girl, everybody would be like, Superman. Right. And no, no matter what, China, Superman, go to Russia, Superman. You right. Know. And um, so they, of course, DC, that's their, their kind of the big star, the rising star. They go and make millions and millions of dollars, like movies and TV right. shows and so on and so forth. And um, Schuster and uh, and Siegel go on to make like $50,000 or something like that, yeah, ultimately, tiny, like all together. Tiny, like, tiny fraction. And this is it. like billions of dollars that DC has made off of that. And then, so, but like, Later, as years goes on, and the family of these creators start kind of suing for the property, they get ultimately will start getting millions of dollars. Right. But it's not until like years and years later, and like many years later. And the other thing I, I started thinking about is Jack Kirby. Exactly. Because it was recently Jack Kirby's birthday. Uh, you know, Jack Kirby has passed away, um, but people like to celebrate his birthday every time it, it comes around. Jack Kirby was a prolific creator. And he worked with both Marvel and DC, and um, you know I, I read the that biography, the um, Marvel stories, like the story yes. stories about Stan Lee, and it, it's mostly about Stan Lee, and then him working with other creators, and then it, as the the end of the biography is talking about just like the Marvel company itself and like the the everything that's gone through in the eighties and the nineties, but the the funny thing is that um, you know Jack, if you ask Jack who created the Fantastic Four. Uh, you know who created um, Spider-Man? Yeah, even he will always say it was me. I was the one. I created the design. So even and you think about Spider-Man, like, oh, that was Ditko, wasn't it? No, no. Like Jack Kirby got involved in creating like the basic concept of the character, yeah. and then Ditko got involved in creating like what the character is going to look like. He modernized it, kind of played around yeah. with it. Fantastic Four was like all Jack Kirby. Yep. Like he the from the, the everything that was drawn like Thor that was like all Jack Kirby. So all the kind of like the the beginning um, Marvel comics, Jack Kirby had something to do with it, um, artist wise. But but he never wrote the stories. It was always Stan that was putting the dialogue in. Right. And so that that basically was the, um, the what was called the Marvel way, which was yes, the artist would kind of like they would both come up with a story, a general story about like okay, this is what we want to happen by the end of the comic. The artist would do the panels and pages with no dialogue. And then the writer would come in and look and look at the panels and say, like, okay, make this person say this, make this person say that, and match it to like, you know, what the comic was. Now, that really is not the I don't I don't know if that's I don't think that's the case anymore. I think the writer now writes kind of like the dialogue and then the artist writes you know, makes Works art with around him, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was the way back then. So if you think about it, like Kirby created and told the story because he's telling the story in the panels, how the story's gonna flow. Right. It's, all Stan did was just Put in dialogue, yeah, you know. Which, and if they wanted to change something, they'll change something, you know. But it that was often it was just like that. And the other funny thing is that um, when Kirby eventually would leave to go on to like DC and start working for DC, Stan would look for people, artists that draw drew just like Jack Kirby. Yes, we want you to do his Jack's, disciples. Yeah, exactly. He's just like make it look more like Kirby, you know. Make it look more. That was what we would always say. Make it more like Kirby, uh, like Iron Man too. Another one, Captain America. Like you know, the Avengers. Yeah. 
like all Jack Kirby. Everybody you could, every pretty much everyone that you can think of as sort of the the oh, temple. Captain America was not necessarily uh, that was the only one that wasn't Kirby influenced. But everything else I just mentioned, Jack Kirby. Okay, oh, yeah. go ahead. No, I was going to say it's the the people who you consider to be the, the pretty much the seminal characters for for Marvel all were Jack Kirby creations. Right. So it's you know he defined the universe as much as you know Stanley ever did. Right. And that's and but but once again, this goes back to that whole thing about ownership. So Stan, yep. Stan, as Stan was both not only the writer, but he was also in he was also in the management of Marvel. Right. He, he was also the nephew of one of the owners at the time. So yeah. the 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 kid that was Sydney that reminds me of like that's would would have been yeah. Stan Lee Stan. at the time. And um, so but Stan Lee goes on to stay with Marvel and get promoted and make millions of dollars, and eventually get kind of credit and copyright for it where jack is like i barely seen any of that money yeah you know in for both sides he went for dc he made the whole fourth world series he created the demon like all this other great stuff that dc tries to capitalize on and um and he sees nothing like other than credit for like that but money wise there's not like a lot of cash flowing in from from that it's it's amazing how it's amazing how like the 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 business of comics is so it, it's painful to the people who who love it the most sometimes. Well, the, the, when he says uh, like you know Jack Kirby was credited with the term uh, the the phrase saying comics will break your heart. Yeah, you know don't get involved with comics. Comics will break your heart. And um, it, to a lot of comic creators right now, yeah. they feel that way. Like you know. Well, it also sh- it also sh- it also explains like the whole. Um, the whole movement that away from that and, you know, started in the, you know, started in the eighties, you know, people like Eastman and Laird with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles where they own their own rights. Yeah. Um, but you know something, that story is one in a million. No, I know. I mean, but it, it took, you know, it, but it's, 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 you know, you're right. Absolutely. It's like they on a whim created something and they thought it was funny and they got some money to publish it. And then it struck a nerve, you know, a res- it resonated with the people at the time and probably still would if today, if you created Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles today, I think people would pick up on it. And that was, that's like, but you'll never see that again. There's nothing like that that's right. and out there right now. Just, and also we all, we make, we make fun of the, uh, we make fun of this person, but he tried to do his own thing too, by founding his own company. Um you know, along with Jay Lee and and all the other people. Are you talking to Tom and Rob Liefeld? Rob Liefeld. You know, yeah, I mean that was that was the other positive the, story about ca- people creators making their own stuff and making millions of dollars off of it. Yes, and um, and also um, you know, Spawn. Uh, you know, the the fortune that Tom Todd Todd McFarlane did. So, yeah. you know, because there are so so, but for every Todd McFarlane who has you know a master of not only just his comic but also the. The, the marketing and all the spinoffs and the toys in particular have made he made more money off of toys than he did off of off of comics by factors of like what ten to a hundred, you oh, know. But, yeah, but they're not making like they're making good money, but they're not making DC Marvel right. comics money. So, um, so I think that you know that that was the thing that uh, Ed Brubick is talking about here. It's yeah. just like creators, you know, you go on to think like you put invest all this time creating these stories, and then at the end of the day. What do you get out of it? Nothing. Like, you know, you're going to die and there's no money that's going to be coming with you and you're not going to be you know, set for life. You it, it just doesn't pay to work that way. We also we all, I, and before we started, we also I was I was also mentioning um, a lot of the other pulp mag, the pulp magazines that were for writers too was right. in the, was in the same way. People would write per word and, you know, they would and it would be um, 
they would they, they you know they would give up they, they would just give up their 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 intellectual property and just you know to the to, to the magazines you know and, and just for pennies on the you know for pennies on the dollar right and they would you know they would get paid for just the work that they did like a, a lot of a lot of the stuff was at that especially at that time was paid per word i think that kind of changed later and uh, maybe that's probably why you know, Updike when he first started wrote these wrote those he wrote a lot of long novels was because because for a long time that was the that was the model of uh, how you got paid in the industry. Mm-hmm. So and that the change to you know the that the changes that happened there didn't. I'm kind of surprised that the changes that happened in the in the sort of in in the print in the print medium didn't translate over as well into the comic industry. I guess it's probably because it's more labor intensive and it's not and it's and where with with writing you only have one creator and you know you and all you have to do is print the is just print the novel or the you know or, or the or the book or whatever you're releasing at that time versus how many people are involved in creating and marketing and doing everything involving with a comic book and getting it out to the right. distribution and everything else right and uh so so going back to max winters it's um you find out that all right, now I have no job. So now what am I going to do? So he doesn't tell his wife. He doesn't tell his wife, I just lost my job. He's thinking about options. So they decide he's going to take his mind off things. Says, let's, let's go uh, watch a movie. So he takes his wife out to the movies. And they're watching. And, of course, this is the 30s. So in the 30s, you didn't have television. Right. That wasn't invented yet. So the way that you would get all your news would either be you read the paper or you when you go see whatever the main feature is at the movie theater, they would play newsreels yes. in front of it. And what he finds when he starts watching newsreel is there's uh, updates about this uh, guy named Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party that's on the rise in Germany. And uh, he knows about who Hitler is. He knows about the Nazi party. He knows it's a fascist movement. And But what he also notices is that when he's in the theater, this guy's standing up and shouting and saying, yay, you're yeah, Nazis, he's... you know, and he can't believe like you know he's just like why do these people do this like why are they in love with the nazism he's like i don't understand it but any and they also know they've heard stories about like what's happening with the jews in in germany at this point and so that could be like another factor of like why would you be for this like you know he can't comprehend why these men are cheering um so but it isn't so it's but it's an interesting thing uh and it's another plot point that's gonna be coming up very soon so he sees the, the movie, and uh, movie the movie takes his mind off his problems, and he's uh, but then he starts worrying about again what he's going to do, and so he leaves. He excuses himself, gets out of the movie theater, and he sees the um, the kind of the people that run the ushers that run the movie theater take a giant bag of money and they put it on the truck, and he's like, wow, it's like. Look at all that money, and it's just there, and I could grab it if I wanted to. It, it, but he's thinking, it, it, he's thinking of his mind in his younger yep. days, but he's not thinking about the heart attack and the old man's body that he's in right now. So he stops himself from doing any kind of like sudden rush to go get that money. He says, "I got to plan this. I got to work this out." And as he's thinking about that, we go back in time again. We go back to when he's young again, and he talks about the other times that um, yes. he almost died. One was he was working as a cattle uh, rustler, and it was him, his brother, and Spike, who was Heck in the comics. Yes. Spike is his real name. And they were rustling a cattle, and the farmer happened to be on the, the, the land, and he comes running out. And, and so they get on their horses to ride away, and the guy, the farmer gets off a lucky shot, and it shoots his brother in the back. 
luckily for um, Max, he was riding the horse with his brother behind him. His brother gets shot and killed, dies, but Max luckily survives. But if his brother wasn't riding behind him on his the same horse he was on, he would have been dead. Yes, that was the time I almost another time I almost died. Um, so he, he talks about that story. He talks about um, how when he was robbing trains. Now he's thinking about robbing trains. When he was robbing trains, he's living high on the hog. He's getting all yep. this money. He's having he's, fun with all these girls. He's literally like lighting lighting a cigar with with, with dollar bills. Hundred, yeah, like a hundred dollar bill, and he's burning it and lighting the cigar. And he but he talks about how Spike, even though they were getting all that money, was always miserable. Um, and he drunk himself to death, basically. Yeah. You know, he, he he died much younger than Max. He died. did the he did the Doc Holiday died. You know, of con, you know complications of consumption. Right. And um, so he's thinking about this, and he's like, you know, I used to rob trains all the time and that was the other thing too that kind of hit me as i was reading the comic is being alive at turn of the century yes so growing up young um in the wild west and then being a a senior citizen in modern day with his trucks and there's no horses anymore and there's pavement and city and urban landscape he, he went from he went from the frontier to being in the most urbane city in america right and so when as as people are reading those comics, the the um kind of the frontiers comics, the cowboy comics, you know, those were stories that were probably based on a lot of real life stories. Yeah. Because the people that lived them were only like thirty years ago or twenty years ago. <laughs> like it wasn't that long ago that these people were riding on horses and living kind of frontiers. Right. And and there was a, and there like I said there was a there's that that disc, there's a there's a real lived history that was being reflected in the early work. Right. Um, one of the things that I kind of remember was the, if you know, kind of, it was kind of a, an interesting shout out was um, the, um, the coda to the movie Tombstone where they talked about the real life of Wyatt Earp and how he ended up, you know, drifting out and being a, being a sheriff, including, you know, up until the 1930s, right. which it would, which would be, which would be synonymous with, you know, these, you know, with, with this character. Mm-hmm. So even at that point where, you know, he, you know, he was in, he was in Los Angeles at the time, you know, one of, one of like one of the suburbs of uh, town, one of the suburbs of what was going to be the the metropolis of of L.A. You know, he was serving there, and when he died, and you know, and all these famous um, silent movie actors had came, you know came to his funeral. And I was thinking about it. It's like in this case, you know, here, you know, here, you know, here we have Max, and Max is you know has lived that you know that same life where he went from being you know he was you know he wasn't a, he wasn't a lawman, but he was. But he was, uh, you know, he was on the other side of it. But have you know, recovering and you know, in a world that it doesn't I even know, exist I know. anymore. I know. So it's interesting, you know. So it's so it's it's, but it's not it, unlike right now where we look back at, you know, we look back at it and be like, oh, that's just ancient history. This was very much lived history for a lot of the people. Well, consider this. Okay, uh, you live right now in the 1920s. Think about 1960s. Is there a giant difference between 1960s and the ni- 2020s? Sure, technologically, yes, there's a, a big jump. But did you have cars in the 60s? Yeah. Did you have trains in the 60s? Did you have planes in the 60s? Yeah. Did you have television in the 60s? So you had like a lot of the stuff we grew up on still exists, but it's in a different kind of format. Right. TV today is not necessarily the same way the TV was consumed in the 60s. Right, you so the so so your baseline is very is very similar. And you know, and I grew up with my 
great grand I was lucky enough to have my great grandparents who who once again made this transition, like you said, from you know horse and buggy to you know man on the moon um, within their lifetime. Right. And these are people who um, my great grandfather had a team of Morgan horses and rolled and had a snow roller that um, he that he ran to keep the Notch Road in upstate Vermont open so that people could use it. The idea now it's like you know it's a and it was a the reason why it was a roller and not a plow was because it was a dirt road. So like that you know so he went from that to living in Boston you know with like you know with like the the Mass Pike and you know the Big Dig and everything else you know it's just that so for him you know driving you know just imagining from if he ever thought I asked him if he ever you know when I was you know when I was younger. You know, I said, what's the, you know, one of the biggest changes that he thought? He said, you know, well, listen, I never thought that I would ever leave the state of Vermont. You know, people just didn't do that. You know, it's like you had, or if you did, you would live by train. And that was something that, you know, now he's like, I just, you know, we drive down to Florida. I know, I know. Putting it in perspective. Okay. So it's like, so Max's, so Max's life would be a little different, you know, in terms of that. Well, it it is different. So, but that's what I wanted to point that out. Cause I, you you think you're reading this and you're like, it kind of hits. It hit me as I'm yeah. reading. It. I was like, "This guy went from riding horses and robbing banks." You know, you if you're familiar with the the video game Red Dead Redemption, like you're familiar with Cowboys and Indians movies, yeah. but you play the game Red Dead Redemption and you're riding a horse and you're robbing a bank and everything that involves with that. And it's like this guy was doing that, and now what is he doing? <laughs> He's living in an apartment in New York. You know, it just it doesn't seem like the two things should uh, you know, go together. Um, but but it, it, this is some people actually lived like this. Right, they grew up riding on horses, being very urban, um, uh, rural. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, very rural, and then in their later years, moving to the big city and being very urban. So it's very in, very uh, interesting Culture transition. Shock. Culture shock is, is definitely the word for it. Then we move to kind of the third part of this, the third act of the story. So he's talking again. We're going back to Max. Max needs to make money. Max wants to rob a, a armored truck. So he starts hound. He starts uh, kind of paying attention, casing, making plans about this uh, armored truck. And he's thinking, and he's thinking, he's like, I could do this. Nobody has to get hurt. I can get the money, get in, get out, whatever. So he's about to. He does this for weeks, and he's about to make his move. And an old man grabs his elbow and he pulls him back. He says, "You don't want to do that. You'd be goes, dead. You'd be dead before you." Before you hit, before you hit, before you got the shot off. Right. And then he's like, here, I got some, but I got something for you. Why don't you come and, and talk with me in the bar? I'll buy you a drink. So he decides to go with the guy. He doesn't know who he is. But he finds out that the man who stopped him um, is a Pinkerton agent. Now, the Pinkerton agents were um, basically lawmen. They were the, the, yeah, they were the, they were the max, the maximum lawmen bef- that was sort of the, um, they were a private security company. Um, they originated, you know, originated about the time, you know, in the eight, in the 1800s, um, they provided uh, security for Lincoln during the civil war and, uh, later became famous for union busting and serving the, uh, robber barons of the, uh, of the, of the gilded age. Right. And, um, he, and his name is Jeremiah Goldman. And so Jeremiah says to him, they're like, you know, I was a Pinkerton agent and I know who you are. And he says, How well, how'd you know? He says, Because I've been following you for years. And I spotted you right then and there. And I've been, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and I've been I've been casing you as you were casing that truck. And if you went and tried to rob that truck, they have like all this security that you don't see. You would have been dead before you, you know, got out of the street. Those guys would have gunned you down. He says, But 
He says, I got a proposition for you. And he goes, oh, yeah, what's that? He says, I have a robbery that I can, you can pull off and you'll want to pull it off. And he's like, oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> the guy's got the goods on me. Right. And tell me, tell, tell me, me more about this robbery. When you, say, when you say that he's got the goods on him, he has one of the original wanted posters for right. him. Yeah, he shows him. It's just it's, like, it's like, I could turn you in right now if I wanted to, but I need you for this. Right. And so he, he says, okay. Uh, he says, so, so what's what's the deal? And he talks about how he has he's a Pinkerton, you know. So again, he's somebody who that works with the government, and he's um, uncovered a Nazi cell, or there's actually a Nazi party that operates out of New York. Yes, and they have a shipment of money, tre- uh, their treasury that they're going to be sending over to Germany. Right. So From, they're going to have like this big premiere and then they're going to take the money and it's going to be sent over to Germany to support the Nazi movement. And if you think that this is far-fetched, this actually happened. There was a uh, there was a, there was a, a big Nazi rally at Madison Square Garden. Right. Right, exactly. That's why um John and I were talking about this before the podcast is um when we reflect back or when you hear people talk back that maybe even lived through the the 40s and yeah. the 50s maybe as a child um, but or as an older person now, and they say like you know oh nobody supported the Nazis in America like yes. you know everybody everybody was pro America and let's go kill those Nazis and you know the, and like just like you see in all the, the the movie propaganda is get over there and kick their butts yeah. and like you know take names and 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 kill uh, Adolf and of course that's what we want you know that's what we, we, we want to believe want, that we want to believe that but what you find out is just like this comic is showing you is. There were people that were there were a lot of people that were supporting a fascist movement that that were buying into it, thinking that they didn't know 100% of what you know Adolf Hitler was doing right. Every, you know in, in hindsight and retrospect Hitler was a monster but to them at that point they they didn't know what was going on so they were thinking like this guy he's getting the country together he's uniting everybody and you know took the, the mess that was you know in Mussolini and Italy to, yeah. took the mess that was that was all of Italy because Italy had been a divided nation for a since you know, since the empire, Roman Empire, right, exactly, managed to unify it, and you know, it's like they're talking about things like you know, or we're, they're bringing order and you know, restoring the economy, and of course, this is very, you know, of course, this is all very pertinent because we were because at the time we were just coming out, we were going through the Great Depression, exactly the 20s, so yeah. so you had so you had so you've had this lived like I said this this lived history where you know these where some of these ideas if you know you know the idea of and. The idea of bringing a f- strong nation forward, and also there was a real isolationist element to America at the time. Right, and they thought that this was something that was just going to happen over there. Right. We have the we have the Atlantic between us and them. It really doesn't matter, you know. But the, but what's the, going on? Yeah, the, there's there's a d- divide between us. But the other thing is, people wanted to replicate what. Yeah, uh, Adolf. So you we could have had our own version of Adolf Hitler in America. And, and we almost did. Yeah, and there was and there was a lot of support for it. And we, yeah. you know, it's like we we were talking about this in terms of you know, like I said, there's, there, I mean, I think famously there there was um, they had popular they had populists here like uh, Lindbergh who didn't hide his his uh, yeah, there, there admiration were, for Adolf Hitler and in, in Germany. Well, and the other funny thing is we were talking about Henry Ford the yeah. other day, and Henry Ford was a, a well known anti Semitic. He even wrote a newspaper articles you know, saying about like you know why the Jews are bad for, yeah. for for everything, and and I was reading John like this article that he wrote. He owned a paper, 
And um, in there, he wrote um, kind of an opinions column. And he goes, you want to know why nobody wants to, to uh, watch baseball? I'll give you three words. It's the Jews. Yes. Something like that. And, and, I, I, and I was I, laughing because it's like, who would, read, who would write this? I couldn't even, I, you know, and, and, as, and as, you know, as jaded as I am, I was even shocked because, I mean, the extent of the, the open disdain, you know, it's like you hear yeah. about how bad it is. I right. mean, you know, how, you know, when, but, from the people who survived it. It's something entirely different when you actually are seeing like the firsthand source material and you get confronted with the past like that. Well, the the other funny thing about especially about Ford is he was progressive, though. He hired women. He hired uh, people of color. Yes. Um, he hired handicapped people. Yeah. Um, this is all against like, you know, what the Nazi credo was at that time. Absolutely. Very much so. And um, and so, so it's like you have, again, this kind of like dichotomy of a person where he hates one, an irrational hate for one group of people, right. but he he allows other people, he gives like, you know, the people a chance, the other people a chance. And also Henry Ford was a, it was a terrible capitalist because you, you because one of his, he was famous for most, one of his most famous quotes is when asked why he paid his workers so much, you know, what his response was, because somebody has to buy my cars. Right. You know, he was, you know, so he actually was, he was, the, he had, there was a, there was also at the, at the time, a lot of hatred for, for Ford himself because he was paying his workers too much. Right. And this is, you know, and so this, it's, it's interesting when you, especially, and if you look back and then tie that into the history of the Pinkertons and how they were used to, 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 um, um, bust unions. Yeah. Ford also didn't, Ford also allowed unionization. Yeah, you know, and unlike other, unlike a lot of his competition, and and it's so like you have this, you like you said, you have this really hard dichotomy between you know his you know this virulent anti-Semitism and you know and and yet so many things that he was progressive on, right? And it's you know, and once again, but that sum that summarizes America beautifully, where you have where you have this dichotomy between you know the, the you know some the, some these amazingly progressive ideas and you know in terms of you know sort of the the best of you know um you know melting pot and all these and uh, and bringing people into the bringing people into the system and and making them americans and also tied in with the you know but also they but also at the same time excluding certain you know these certain groups and you know um and the sin of you know the original sin of slavery and the I and, know. The, and the following I know. after and uh yes exactly so going back, and I started thinking about Ford. And I'm like, you know, maybe I'm not making excuses for Ford, but it, it just makes me um, wonder. It's just like he seems like a man who could have been like a rational man, um, an intelligent man. And to believe this, to like one group of people, if we eradicate one group of people, that the, all the ills in the world will be resolved, you know, which is the stupidest thing that anybody could any like to think, oh, this, this one group of people didn't exist. The rest of the world would be perfect. That wouldn't. That's never going to happen. If people are in the world, the world's never going to be perfect. Let me just put it to you that way. <laughs> yeah. I'm a realist. If people exist, we're gonna because we're flawed people. But you know what we do? We work together. We work it out. We hash it out, and we get a, like a nice. If we work together, everybody uh, gets a, a good living out of it. Right. Like we, you know, we can work together and work it out. So, I'm saying like the this man should think like this, and then. How did he get influenced? Like I, I, re, I really would like to see like a book if it exists that explains how he like was he was it raised yeah, on the this? radicalization? It, yeah, that actually, that would be that would actually be a, that would actually be fascinating a radicalization of, of of Ford and and you know and and also that whole intelligentsia class. Yeah, so that that's a totally different thing. So we're getting a little bit off topic, but I'll get back to the story now. So Nazism exists. There's groups of people. There's a as John mentioned. 
there really was um, kind of a, a rally of people in New York at that time for pro-Nazi. Mm. And so the they're thinking, again, um, Jeremiah, the Pinkerton, um, is taking uh, Max, and they're going to go rob this place. And they got it all mapped out. They got it worked out. Max is going to be the gunman. He's going to hold up the guy at the door. He's going to hold him. Um, Goldman's going to go in, get the money, going to zip out. It's like it shouldn't be anything. And what happens is that Max does what he's supposed to do, and as soon as Goldman gets in, he kind of breaks down the plan. He everything goes yep. radical and he, and sideways, and he's like, "Why aren't you?" St-? And in his eternal monologue, "Why aren't you sticking to the plan? Why are you deviating from the plan?" So he has to kind of improvise with him, and yeah. and then he, and then he's thinking about, like, "Wait a minute, what what are we doing here? There's no money here. There are no safes in here." He's just like, wait a minute, I was lied to again. Like, this yep. guy, is no, there's no money to be had. He's in. talking about getting the ledger. There's a ledger, yes. And so what Goldman confides into him, you know, once Max, re- they get out of there by the skin of their teeth, and Max realizes there was no money. Why did I just risk my life for? And he tells him that there's a, um, a ledger in there, and the ledger has the names of all the people that are big-time contributors to the Nazi party, and if this ever got leaked, these people's names would be mud, you know. So he's like, this is why it was important. And he says, well, why was it so important for you to get this? You risked your life too. And he says, because my name's Goldman, and I work for FDR. And FDR, start, once he, um, not uh, FDR, um, who, uh, Edgar Hoover. Yeah, Hoover. Edgar Hoover. Hoover. Once Hoover started running uh, what was will become the FBI, and he has contractors like the Pinkertons started kind of minimalizing his job. He started being field agents. His, his, his job becomes smaller and smaller until eventually I got into early retirement, not of my own choosing. Right. It's like this is what. The, yes, exactly. Because my name's Goldman. And, um, and he says, and I see the newsreels and I know what's going on. And he says, like, these people, they can't win. This is like they can't get away with this. So I'm going to make sure that they don't. And he says, well, what was, you know, my, my risk? It's just like, I understand why you did this. Like, but you, didn't, you should have told me. It's like, this is my life too. He says, look, I I'm, I promise you something. I promise you get something out of it. So he gives him uh, a deed to a nice house in a nice part of New York. And he gives him uh, $8,000. $8,000. Uh, Which is a yeah. small fortune at that time. So he's like, okay, all right. So he's like, okay, it, it kind of works out in the end for Max. Right. And um, a couple of weeks later, he wants to go meet Goldman to see how he's... He, oh, he, I'm sorry. He reads something in the paper about a banker being outed as a Nazi collaborator. And he goes, oh, that must be Goldman. You know, again, because the guy didn't play ball and, and now yeah. Goldman's... So he says, I'm going to go see him. He knows where Goldman lives. And at the day he goes sees him, he finds out that Goldman has died. Yes. That the, he supposedly, quote unquote, fell down a flight of stairs and broke his neck. Conveniently. Mm-hmm. Conveniently. So um, he Max is like, that was a good friend of mine. He's just like, he, gave, he did a good thing for me. And I'm sure, and when he goes into the, the building, he sees a woman that was an eyewitness, and she tells him everything that happened. And it wasn't the same Nazi guys. They pushed him down the stairs, and they killed him. And then he says, broke his neck. And he says, where can I find these Nazi guys? And he tells them where they're all hanging out. There's like a certain bar that all these fascists hang out at. And so then he goes there with the intent of killing the man who killed his, his friend. So this is an irrational thing to right. do for him, but he's going to do it against he's just like, again, this book has a lot of foreshadowing in it because it was a foreshadowing about um, 
the cowboy and how the cowboy wants to retire and he doesn't know what he's going to do with his life. And now Max is an old man. He used to be a cowboy and he wants to do something with his life and he doesn't know what to do. He's lost his job. The other foreshadowing is, remember when John was talking about the man being beat up on the platform? What was it? It was two thugs beating up a Jew. Right. So at the end of his life, he sees a friend who's a Jew. Right. Got beat up by a couple of thugs. And he almost, and then he said nobody was doing anything about it right. on the subway I platform. To. I have to do something. And he almost gets killed. He almost dies. And that was the one of, and he says, that was the one of the times I almost died. Well, I'm not going to tell you the end of the comic. Right. I'm not going to tell you what happens at the very end. Does it, is this another one of those stories where I almost died? Well, you're going to have to read the final page. I will leave you something to, to read about. But um, we had a lot to talk about in this comic. Yes. It was like I said. It was a fant- It's a short read, but it's a fantastic read. And if once you get through the subtext of it, and like you know, you you see how everything plays out from the beginning to the end. And like as I said, there's a lot of foreshadowing, a lot of things. Um, this the rich tapestry of life, as he mentions about mm. things that happens when he's younger versus how he thinks when he's older, uh, and all this stuff comes into play. And the other thing about this is the the story is about. Common people, ordinary people. That yes. was another thing about the the song I picked. There's a, there's no superheroes in this in this comic book. It's just a story about a man, one man and his life and the choices he must make, and um and what kind of consequences come out of the choices that you make. So he he chose to be reckless and make a lot of money as young, and he wasn't too too smart about the money that he made when he was young, and now he's an old man and he barely has any mo- two pennies to rub together. Uh, so th- this is, these are the other things that come out of it. And, I, and again, fantastic read. Any co- final comment you want to put in on this? Just the, just to, uh, how how bittersweet this is. I mean, this is one of those this is one of those stories where um, I I don't know how it could pack more of an emotional punch um, because it hits you in so many different ways. Um, it's one of those it's 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 one of those full spectrum comics where it it, it you know it hits your heart your heart your head and and your gut at the same time mm-hmm. um it's an ama- it's a it's an amazing experience it it's obviously you know I, i'm then not to oversell it you know you said it was probably you know it's probably going to be nominated for all these awards right it would deserve every last one of them i mean it's just it it's I, there's very few things that are close to perfection um this is one of them that's that's damn close. And it's certainly one of the, one of my, you know, once this will be one of my highest recommendations, um, of the, the comics that we've been reading, you know, that we've, that we've given, um, the comics that we've read together and, and recommended to all of you listening. Yep. All right. So this is the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening to us. Uh, definitely go out and, and pick up pulp and, um, as always, Subscribe. Well, go to the Comics Miss Remembered every week to hear this podcast and all of our podcasts. You don't have to subscribe because I don't have any subscribe buttons there. But what you can subscribe to is uh, the Facebook page, the Twitter account. The We also have an Instagram account. Subscribe to all that those uh, social media things. And also, if you wanted to uh, subscribe to the Apple podcast or however you enjoy your podcast, because Spotify is another option, um, you can subscribe and that way you'll get the, uh, the weekly podcast automatically downloaded to you. But where could you, but where, but what one source can you find all of those? Everything you can get at comicsmisremembered.com. 
So as always, go to Comics Misremembered. You'll see all the links on the, the front page. If you're looking at Comics Misremembered through your phone, you'll have to scroll all the way to the bottom. That's how it works out. So just sc keep scrolling down until you can't scroll down no more, and you'll get all the links there. Uh, but again, thank you for, for listening, and we will see you next week.